Get ready for a journey into the heart of Bridgeport politics with In Absentia, a new podcast from Connecticut Public's investigative team, The Accountability Project. Learn about the city's past and present political dysfunction and the systems that enable it. Tune in wherever you get your podcasts. Funding provided by Gregory Melville and Susan Fox and Kathleen Bromage. Well, hello. Um, on the calendar that we use to plan our lives here on The Colin McEnroe Show, this day, this show that you're listening to right now was supposed to be up until, I don't know, two days ago, it was supposed to be a show about donuts. Uh, and I'm not sure we wouldn't have been well served to doing it. Maybe that's what America needs right now is a show about donuts. We are going to do a show about donuts. We're just not going to do it today. We did feel as though the testimony of uh, former FBI Director James Comey uh, would warrant uh, some kind of special reaction and some analysis. We thought maybe that's what you'd want uh, out there in your cars or in your homes, particularly if you followed the hearing today. So that's what we're going to do. And I'm lucky enough to have my colleague uh, John Dankosky host uh, of the show next. Uh, and of course, also the host of The Wheelhouse with uh, with me. Uh, I'm kind of the sidekick on The Wheelhouse, I think. Uh, and, and then also, we're especially lucky when we start talking about, like, who's the ideal guest for this? And we struggle a little bit. And then I said, Mike Clark. And everyone went, yeah, Mike Clark. And Mike <laughs> Clark is here, a senior lecturer uh, at the College uh, of Criminal Justice and Forensic Sciences at the University of New Haven. Served as an FBI special agent for 22 years. Also has been active in the politics of uh, Farmington, Connecticut, although not right at the moment. Um, you know, um, Mike, maybe if we could just begin with you. First of all, do you know uh, Mr. Comey? Have, did you actually have direct contact with him? I, I do know uh, Director Comey. Uh, many people don't realize he uh, actually is from Connecticut. When mm -hmm. he was appointed, uh, he, he left uh, his, his uh, home here in, uh, in Westport. And so I've interacted with him a number of times, yes. And, you know, John, one thing that I thought today, I want to hear both of you on this. I mean, I want to get down to the substance and the brass tacks about this. But I thought in general, Comey made an interesting decision, which was to put his prepared statement already entered into the record aside and talk apparently with no script at the beginning. And I thought that led him into, I mean, I think when, you know, when, when America watches somebody on the hot seat on television, they are often judging the person as a person first and maybe the content later. And I thought Comey seemed very relaxed and normal and human. Maybe he has a little bit of a reputation in the past as being this highly formal kind of ramrod straight guy. With, but all these little expl exclamations like, Lordy, I hope there are tapes and stuff <laughs> like that seem to kind of humanize him. Well, I, absolutely. But I also think you can only seem so human when uh, probably at least a third if not half of the times you speak, you have to say, I'm sorry, I can't uh, answer that question in an open session. And I think that that's the, the line that Director Comey has to walk at all times in his, in his business. And I think it also, I think it, it needs to have a human touch, Colin, because people watching this are going to see someone not understanding what you can and can't say, Mike, as, as uh, an FBI director or a former FBI director, and say, why is he evading the question? Why can't he talk about that? Because most people don't understand why you can and can't talk about things. I think he needed to bring, as Colin said, some folksiness to this because it humanizes what often sounds like a very inhuman way of talking. Very true. Uh, a matter of fact, I'll tell a quick story. My wife used to love to go out when I would be with other agents because we would actually talk amongst ourselves. 
And she would always respond, oh, now I know what you're doing. <laughs> and uh, because you weren't able to talk with your family about some of the cases you were working, and especially in the classified, in the, the counterintelligence world, it is almost everything is classified. And it's, it's very difficult to put that out there to the American public. Um, there were some, I mean, when we get to that whole idea of things that can't be talked about in public session and have to be talked about in the classified session, I don't know if you picked this up, uh, but a number of people had the same reaction, at least on the Internet, that I did. It seemed as though if there were one or two things that maybe we weren't prepared for, um, and Mike, I'll, I'll ask you about this first. It seemed as though he was saying at one point that there's something about Attorney General Sessions that uh, would would in fact maybe strengthen the case for him to be recused that he couldn't talk about an open session. Now, we already know a thing about Attorney General Sessions, which is that he had contact with various Russian officials. He was less than forthright about that uh, the first time he was asked about that in front of a congressional panel. We've understood for quite some time. That's the reason why he have to ha- has to recuse. It seemed, though, as though Director Comey was saying another thing that might be talked about in the classified section. Did you read it that way? You know, I, I listened to that part, and it, it obviously piqued my interest. Mm-hmm. But it's really difficult to ascertain just what the specifics, because obviously the senators at one o'clock will be will be right. hearing these specifics. So it's 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 just it's difficult, right. as John pointed out, uh, for the public. It's it's like following a, a television show and they're cutting out half the words. <laughs> it's so. right. Yeah, very heavily redacted. Yeah. But I think, as Colin's saying, he seems to be uh, hinting at some things, as many uh, of the senators were doing as well, hinting at things that will happen. And it is about an hour from now, about two o'clock. They said they're going to gavel back in in this in this closed session. So there were a lot of hints about what's going to be there, including maybe more conversation about uh, about attorney. General Sessions, but we're not going to know. Right. And one of the things that he said uh, very late in the hearing, he's, he kind of acknowledged this problem that, I mean, if, for example, if Ron Wyden asked me, is John Jankowski a, a Russian spy? And I say, I can't talk about that in an open session. I've now left the prospect on the table. <laughs> I didn't I didn't go, well, no, absolutely not. <laughs> you know, so every time you do that, I mean, maybe you're doing it because it represents a range of possibilities that you just don't want to get into. But it can seem as though, by, by sort of saying, well, I can't talk about that here, that there is a thing to be talked about. It, it creates awkward situations just like that. And, you know, one of the key things to understand is in the counterintelligence world, it, it's very different from a criminal investigation. Their job is not to investigate and then arrest. Their job would be to counter the the opposite, you know, let's say in this case, the, the KGB's uh, actions here where they're looking to find a vulnerable U.S. citizen that they can exploit. And um, so yeah. so, we'll so they're not looking to necessarily arrest that U.S. citizen. They're looking to counter that exploitation. Um, by the way, uh, we'd love to hear your reactions. I'm sure a lot of you were as riveted as we were. Our number is 860-275-7266. Or if you have questions, same number, 860-275-7266. You know, John, another thing that uh, as, the, as we began uh, and uh, Director Comey had decided to put aside this seven-page uh, statement that had already been included in the record. Most of us read it last night, um, had a lot of things in it that we kind of confirmed a lot of things that had been in sort of effectively sourced press accounts, anonymously sourced press accounts. 
Well, what he did at the beginning was I think he showed some real flashes of genuine anger. Uh, he used the word lie a lot of times. Uh, he said that he had been defamed by the Trump administration, uh, that what had been said about his dismissal, that um, especially the part that there was chaos in the FBI and he lost the confidence of the rank and file and all this. He said that's lies, nothing but lies. And then a scant 10 minutes later, when he's describing his practice of memorial memorializing these conversations with President Trump, the first way he explained it was he was concerned that President Trump would lie about the nature of their encounter. He used that word again. And I thought that in particular was remarkable for a former FBI director to say about a sitting president that the reason that he felt the need to make a record was that he was concerned that that president would lie about the exchange that passed between the two of them. That, you know, that's a very strong characterization. The strongest characterization of its type that I can honestly remember when he talked talks about the administration chose to defame me and, more importantly, the FBI. I think it's clear that what he's trying to do is not just protect himself, but protect his colleagues that he works with. However, you know, later on, when asked about the president's rationale for having fired him, the public rationale that was given, I, I think that the the director made it pretty clear that he just doesn't buy what Trump put out there. He feels very strongly that this was personal, having to do with the Russia investigation, having to do with all the things that I think that we know. And I, I think Colin's right, uh, Mike, he's angry about it. And as a private citizen, uh, that anger is that anger is coming out even when it can't come out in some of the other classified information that he doesn't want to uh, discuss. I, I would agree with you. And in full disclosure, I am a, a, a very strong advocate of, of Jim Comey. I, I think uh, as far as the agent, the onboard agents, as well as the retired agents, uh, he was very popular. He remains very popular. He uh, was very agent centric in his in his uh, work. Uh, and it was a, a real body blow when when he was sacked the way that he was. What about his work exactly can inform us about some of the decisions that he made here? I mean, because he's also making some decisions in real time about how to memorialize a conversation with the president, whether or not he believes the president is lying, actually getting into something that is kind of funny to talk about. It's almost like um, cocktail party conversation, strategy about how to end an awkward conversation with a powerful <laughs> figure. I mean, what is it you know about him and the way he works that might inform us a little bit more about his personality or the way he might handle situations like this? Well, I'll give you two stories that uh, one will be show the personality, the, the internal workings with the FBI. Jim Comey every month would sit down and call all every field division and speak with one field agent uh, about their case. So he would get, you know, uh, read in on a case and then he'd call the agent and he'd say, John, this is uh, James Comey from, uh, you know, the director Comey. I'd like to talk to you about the Los Alitos case. And at first when he started to do this, the agents would say, oh, yeah, sure, Jim, Jim Comey, yeah. Who is this real, you know? <laughs> But, you know, that's the type of guy that he was, a, a boss, I mean, uh, you know, along those lines. Now, as far as uh, there's the famous story about Jim Comey standing up to the Bush administration when they were uh, looking to do some illegal wiretaps. John Ashcroft is in the hospital and there's a race to the hospital uh, between Comey and uh, President, one of President Bush's chief of staff, I believe. And, they, you know, Comey wins the day because Ashcroft says, He's the attorney general now. I, I'm incapacitated, and Comey will not sign off. And he has a famous line, which all agents are trained on, that 
his allegiance is to the Constitution and not to any man. And, and that came up today, Colin. That that, that right. story came up in, in the uh, conversation today as well. Um, I want to grab a phone call here in just a second. I do think, and I want to come back to this, that who James Comey is, um, what kind of person he is, became incredibly important today because a number of the things that he said today that were potentially important rely on his, to use his frequently used word, sense of what was happening. It was my sense that I was being directed to do something. Um, it, he even at one point had this kind of funny conversation about uh, or description of, uh, I think it was about Attorney General Sessions being sent out of the room. And he said, well, you know, he kind of looked at me like, you know, what am I going to do? Uh, and and uh, whoever was, Harris or whoever was asking him said, well, I mean, did he shrug? <laughs> he goes, well, I don't really remember if he shrugged. But I mean, a lot of this, one of the reasons that we have to trust Comey uh, is because, or, or that we need to have kind of a sense of who he is, is because we ultimately have to believe um, uh, uh, in his sense of things. Um, I want to grab a call from David in Hamden. Uh, and our number, again, 860-275-7266. Hi, David. You're on the air. Hi, Colin. Thank you for taking my call. A uh, question I have for you and your panel is I wasn't able to listen to most of uh, Mr. Comey's testimony today, but I did tune in just in time to hear Senator McCain's. <clears throat> and I have to admit I'm a tad confused. Um, I just wonder what your panel thought of Senator <laughs> You're not the only one. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Mike, you might have been on route for that. I, I don't know. Uh, did you catch the I, I, I listened to the, the series of questions that Senator McCain went through, yeah. I, I don't know. I mean, I, I could just quickly say that it seemed to me that he had he was really effectively confusing two different things, that the, that the Clinton investigation was entirely about the server, the handling of emails. Um, there was a separate set of issues about Russian interference that went through the DNC and didn't really have anything to do, as far as I know anyway, with the Clinton email server. That was a separate problem. And it seemed as though Senator McCain actually didn't quite even get the difference between those two things. I, I think that I think the one part of uh, Senator McCain's questioning that I think everybody did understand was something that was come back to over and over again by various Republicans, which was questioning um, why there wasn't more probing by uh, Mr. Comey after some of the statements that the president made. When the statement talks about that thing, uh, Senator McCain was asking him, what what did he mean by that thing, and why didn't you ask another question? Uh, when he talks about, uh, you know, what he may have meant by this, uh, th this statement that suggests that he should lay down the Flynn investigation, um, there wasn't really a follow-up. And I, I don't know if that struck you at all, too. I mean, I think Senator McCain wasn't the only Republican to bring that up. The position they seem to be putting uh, Director Comey in is saying, well, the problem isn't what was said to you. The problem is you not following up on what was said. Uh, very true. And I, I think with Director Comey, I think people have to understand he is generally at the White House, uh, in the Oval Office with the president. And it's still, a, you know, that's daunting even for someone uh, like Jim Comey. And so how far do you probe with the, with the president of the United States? Uh, you know, and you, Comey, you could, you could see he had a discomfort of being there in the first mm -hmm. place. And imagine walking in there and you're expecting a dinner with several guests mm -hmm. and it's the two of you. It, it, it did, Colin, I will say it drew my mind to just 
his ability to interrogate, to to get at the heart of something, because I think memorializing the true meaning of something as opposed to trying to infer the meaning of something Mm -hmm. in that case with the president, maybe directing you to do something that could be illegal. Well, that's probably pretty important to do. Well, yeah, I I wondered, Mike, in particular, whether uh, so uh, director of the FBI isn't a direct report to the um, president. There are are, there's. at least one layer would be the would be the attorney the AG, general, right. and and you know here you've got a sort of a little bit of confusion because the AG isn't really the AG on this, so it's really the deputy AG Rosenstein. Maybe that's who the direct report is, but it seems to me Comey is the kind of guy. But maybe any maybe Robert Mueller would have been done been exactly the same way. It's kind of well, I'm not it's rather than slug this out verbally with the president to whom I'm not even really a direct report anyway, I need to fall back, talk to a couple of people in my inner circle within the FBI, maybe see if I can get Rosenstein or somebody to talk to me about this and sort of figure out what's going on here. And and one thing that Comey did say later on is, yeah, I think it was when Feinstein was talking to him. He said, oh, no, look, I talked to everybody about this. I, I said to Sessions, this can't happen anymore. You can't. I can't be in this position anymore. So it, it seemed I don't know whether that's procedure or kind of the kind of person that, that James Comey is or a combination of the two. Well, I think his last conversation with the president uh, Director Comey di- kind of instructed him, this is how we should go about future contacts. You should have the White House counsel speak with the attorney general, and it, it filters that this chain of command. And I think the president's response to him was, hey, I think I'll do that. Mm-hmm. And, it, you know, I, I think for Comey to finally realize that he has to di- instruct the president on the proper procedure is, is kind of an interesting piece of this. It's interesting, but also not unprecedented for this young presidency to have the president not acting like other presidents. I mean, I think Jim Comey makes it pretty clear that he encountered any number of situations in a very short period of time that have not been encountered uh, very often. As a matter of fact, when they were closing out the public session of the hearing, uh, the chairman, Burr, actually said, we've convened more times in just a few months than we normally would in a couple years or something to that effect. And and that, that I think, is, is part of the reality that we're living in. There's a lot of stuff happening that doesn't ever happen in politics are in Washington. Uh, let me grab one more uh, call and then we'll take a break. Uh, the voice you just heard was that of John Dankosky, uh, very familiar to you. I don't have to explain. Mike Clark is with us too, senior lecturer in the College of Criminal Justice and Forensic Sciences at the University of New Haven, served as an FBI special agent for 22 years. Um, here's Ray in Hamden calling in. Hi, Ray. Hi. Hi. Um, what I wanted to comment about was what I thought the most extraordinary remark in the entire testimony, at least the hour and a half that I heard of it, was when um, director, former Director Comey was asked um, whether he thought that Donald Trump had committed obstruction of justice, and he refused to answer in open testimony, he said only in closed-door session. Where here, this is simply a matter of opinion. I found it extraordinarily damning that he refused to answer openly. Well, I don't know, Mike. What he said repeatedly was that that uh, Director Mueller's investigation is going to decide that. One thing he did make pretty clear was this is an investigation into obstruction of justice. That's what he expects uh, Director Mueller to be looking at. But he deflected it, I think, properly over there whenever he could. And, and I think he deflected it purposely uh, because, one, uh, Comey and Director Mueller, who, who I did work for, uh, are, are, are close. They're, they're, you know, they're friends mm-hmm. and, and colleagues. 
And so the last thing that Director Comey would want to do would be to step on Director Mueller's investigation. Uh, you know, he'll give his opinion when he's interviewed by some of the agents of uh, Director Mueller's uh, task force. It also speaks to the thing we were just talking about, though, Colin, whereas you have uh, people like Comey or Mueller whose, whose job depends on and their lives in public service have uh, been allied to the idea of protocol, like this is how you do things. And there's ways that you don't do things. And we have to keep records of things because we want to make sure that we're doing things right. And they're running up against um, a lack of protocol, frankly, that we've never really seen before in the White House. They're just ways of doing things that uh, the people who work at the top of the FBI believe to be true. And and those things have all changed. I think also I, I would guess that James Comey has learned a little bit also from some of the painful experiences that he went through in 2016. Uh, you know, he, he talks in his memo and he talked today in the um, in the hearing about so-called duty to correct. One of the reasons that he didn't want to say anything dispositive, he didn't want to grant uh, President Trump's request to say, you're not under investigation. There's no cloud over you, was that that would obligate him somewhere down the line if things changed to say, you know, when I said that thing before, <laughs> well, it's my duty now to tell you that that thing is true anymore. That would put him, assuming that he'd kept his job, in a very difficult position. And I think even today, to say, well, no, that wasn't, I don't see Trump as having an obstruction of justice problem. Uh, You know, you don't want to say anything like that that's dispositive, because in fact, it it is an unfolding investigation. I'll I'll also say, though, Colin, I mean, I think he he feels still the burns of, I mean, having come back and corrected the record just a few days before uh, the election of 2016 on the Hillary Clinton investigation is something that left a mark not only on on him, clearly, but probably on the entire country. And so I would guess, Mike, that he he wants to try to avoid any, any instance in which he's having to correct or go back on what he said previously. Uh, absolutely. I mean, uh, when you say left a mark, I think it's a sear. He's been <laughs> seared with that uh, in, his, in his subconscious to, you know, I'm never going down that road again. Yeah, mildly nauseous to maybe something a bit worse. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take a quick break here. We may have um, a live feed of Mark Kazowitz, uh, who's the private counsel to President Trump, uh, responding to uh, Director Comey's testimony today when we get back. But we'll take that break. We'll come right back. So we're back. We're uh, reacting to uh, what some people are referring to as Comey Day in in America. Uh, Director James Comey uh, talking to the the Senate Intelligence Committee. Joining me is uh, John Dankosky, host of the show Next and host of The Wheelhouse. Uh, Mike Clark, a senior lecturer in the College of Criminal Justice and Forensic Sciences at the University of New Haven. He's also served as FBI special agent for 22 years. You know, one of the people that I thought about today uh, during this testimony was Bill Clinton because, A, uh, he was initially billed to us as the the man from hope. Uh, and uh, also because he said it was it depends on what the definition of is is or, or whatever that thing was. Because today it was it depends on what the definition of hope is. Uh, if uh, if you recall, the, uh, Director Comey has said that that in that really important conversation with President Trump, um, it, it's uh, the, the clear the room conversation. Um, it, it's uh, he said he wanted um uh, he said, I hope, I hope you would let up, uh, up on Comey. I yeah. hope you would uh, make this go away or let it, let it go or whatever. And, um, 
And when pressed about this, Mike, what Director Comey said was, I took that as a direction. Um, but once again, a lot of this is, relies on our on whether or not we accept that James Comey read that situation correctly. Is there any other way to look at that? Is there a way to sort of to weigh that as evidence or testimony? Well, I, I'm sure uh, the counsel for, for President Trump will uh, play it a different way. And the obstruction of justice statute is a very difficult statute to prove. It's it's not an easy. Uh, there's a piece in there that talks about a bribe, if you will, which would be anything of value uh, provided in exchange for. And uh, so it's it's just very difficult. It's difficult. I mean, but is is there a line that a, a Jim Comey would? would understand you can't walk over. I mean, once someone says, you know, Mike, I, I, I hope you'd see it clear to maybe uh, take care of that money that I owe you or whatever else. I mean, like at, at what point, n- not in a conversation with the president, but let's just say in a in a normal investigative sense, is there a point at which someone pressuring someone with the words, I hope that you will think about doing something is actually can become incriminating? And is it different if it's the president of the United States saying it? Well, <laughs> I'd say absolutely it's different with the president. Uh, you know, his hopes often become realities. But, uh, you know, it's it that statute, I've attempted to, to use it uh, along with prosecutors in, the, you know, in, a, in a couple cases during my career. And they've generally moved on to other statutes or something else uh, because it's just difficult to prove the intent and, and that the, the, the make – Bring that piece of proof because that's going to sit with with a jury. You know, you need proof beyond a reasonable doubt, and it's a t- it's a tough, it's a big hill to, to climb. And I don't think Director Comey was trying to meet that standard today. Anyway, he was trying to get his story out ultimately, and I think he was pretty effective in, in particularly when he said, "I mean, his answer to that was, look, he cleared the room. You know, he kicked out." The, the attorney general and Jared Kushner and everybody else. And then he said this to me. If this was a very casual observation, like Mike's a great guy. I hope this goes away. I hope you can make this go. If it were sort of that, there'd be no need to clear the room. That's his, So his inference, and it is an inference, but his inference. And, and it, I, the other thing that I was thinking was, you know, he, the, the way that he has pieced together the storyline, which is a pretty intuitive way, is um, he, the president said he hoped I would do something. I didn't do it. He fired me. I think we know what the word hope means <laughs> in that context. Uh, but I'm going to get a reaction from John Dankosky, but first I'll tell you that our number is 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. Yeah, John. Well, I was just going to say and there was this interesting, as we were, as they were trying to in the, in the hearing, do the same thing. We just were trying to figure out exactly what hope might mean. Uh, Angus King from Maine was, was questioning Comey and um, asked the same thing about whether or not he took this is a directive. And, and Comey says, yes, yes, it rings in my ears as kind of, will no one rid me of this meddlesome priest? And then Angus King, of course, right afterwards says, yes, yes, I was going to use that right away. And of course, <laughs> I, the very first person I thought of was Colin McEnroe, who, who would <laughs> drop uh, a reference to King Henry II into a conversation like that. And most of the rest of us might not necessarily pick up on that right away. Right. Did, don't, did you, you, don't, you? don't you just hate it when you've got a Thomas I. Beckett joke, you know, one of those really 
really sort of <laughs> tremendous 12th century one-liners, and somebody else says it right before you do. King, I was going to say King that. King was that guy who had to go and say it anyway because he wanted people to know. But, I mean, it's it's kind of an interesting little reference there. And Yeah, go ahead, Mike. Now, now one thing, uh, if this were a typical criminal investigation mm-hmm. and we had an informant or someone, a cooperating witness, come out and relate that story to us. Yes. You know, what we would do next is, well— we don't. We, we wouldn't want to hang our hat on that inference or just you know what 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 hope means. We would send him back in again, yeah. and and direct him and say, okay, we need to nail this down, uh, and we would want to nail it down, you know, with some type of a, a, a body wire or a recording so that it would be memorialized. It wouldn't be he said, you know, he said he said, but we would definitely try to to pin that down tighter, and also you could hear the the inflection of the. The words, the sentences. But then, indeed, wouldn't you want, if you were Director Comey and you were, and I'm going to sound like one of the Republican senators right now, if you were as troubled by this as you seem to be both then and now, mightn't you actually do that and maybe not wear a wire, but but (laughs) essentially go back to the president and say, "Um, you said this to me, sir, and I'm not sure exactly what you meant. I just want some clarity on that. Just so that you, you have on the record what the president means by that. Yes, but I think I think even uh, Director Comey said today that he was a little flabbergasted by the request and basically wanted to get out of there. Uh, you know, it's like okay, I've had enough, and uh, you know, you know, I think I he, he he spoke about this stony silence as they're staring across the table at each other with you know neither willing to blink really. Well, yeah, and I think also one of the things that Comey made clear today, and maybe something that he hadn't made clear in the past, is you know we now know that he had at minimum these nine interactions, which far exceeds uh, direct interactions between Director Comey and President Obama, or uh, it's way out of the ordinary. And one thing that uh, Comey said today was none of those were at my insistence or at my initiation. I never asked to talk to him about anything. And that clearly was his strategy, too, was rather than go in there and say, you know, when you said hope before, just wondering what you meant by hope. He was like, all right, look, if you call me in, I'll talk to you. But I really don't want to be alone with you. I want sessions in the room. I want somebody else in the room. And I'm certainly not looking for more contact because I feel like this is going down a very dangerous road. So that may be one of the reasons. Like He just didn't go back in there. You know, one thing I also wanted to bring up was um, because this was one of the things that I think was on James Comey's to-do list today was to make it clear how serious this Russian situation is. Like he came back to it a couple of times. He just said, look, this was a hostile act. There is no question about what was going on here. It seemed, Mike, as though he really wanted as part of that public record today for Americans to understand that from his point of view, this is an incredibly serious situation. Whatever the Trump administration did or didn't have to do with it, we've got to start with the fact this was hostile activity. Very true. And he made that very clear with with his statements about let's let's talk about Amer- being Americans and not talk about a Republican or a Democratic administration. This is something that's threatening our very electoral system, uh, you know, which is, you know, that's let's face it, that's a, a foundation. It's a core of, of, you know, of our democracy. And if Republican senators were consumed today with trying to find out why 
uh, the director didn't ask more questions of the president. I think that many of the Democrats uh, were somewhat consumed by the president's reluctance to even take what Director Comey uh, is saying seriously, that he seems to have no interest beyond whether or not he's the target of investigation, Mike Flynn's the target of investigation, or his campaign is the target of investigation, uh, about this very real possibility that, well, very real uh, truth, it seems, from the CIA and the FBI, that Russia has interfered in the U.S. elections. And as he said today, Mike, um, Comey did, this is not the first time. It has happened. It's going to happen again, and it will get worse. Uh, no question about it. I mean, we, you see the, the the probing that the, the Russians are up to. Uh, just They were trying to—just last week, they were trying to probe into a company that, you know, actually t- uh, tallies— these, uh, you know, the voting. They, they didn't get far enough to impact anything. And one thing, uh, you know, Bob Mueller is, uh, he is a serious investigator. And I can guarantee you that some of this is on his plate. And uh, he will run a very tight ship and a very focused investigation. You know, it'll be multi-pronged, but very focused. Mm. I think that, that that does make sense. All right. So um, we're going to take a break again pretty soon here. Um, I want to grab a call quickly from, I think, John in Glastonbury. Hi, John. You're on the air. Hey, Colin. So this paints it in a concerning light, in particularly because of the tweet that he said. You know, on the one hand, they might spin it and say, oh, I was just, uh, you know, just saying, oh, oh, he's just a good guy. You know, uh, You know, don't come down too hard on him. But the fact that he, A, cleared the room. And B, then he went on to tweet that uh, Comey better not have recorded the conversation, paints it in a very, very clear light. And there could be no there could be no mistaking what the intent was, in my opinion. I mean, I did think that uh, he had a nice, seemingly spontaneous moment, uh, James Comey, when he said, Lordy, I hope there are tapes. And I will I th- I think I don't know, maybe I'm I might be crossing a line here, but I. I I have watched an awful lot of people testify under these situations, and you start to, after a while to understand what kind of river or set of rapids the testifier is trying to navigate. And it seemed to me today that James Comey was really only trying to do two things. One of them was figure out what just couldn't, because of being a matter under investigation, you know, couldn't be talked about in open session. Because, in fact, you know, it really might compromise something or, or because it just violates, you know, investigative policy to be talking about it. And then telling the truth. I, I never saw a moment where Comey appeared to even take two seconds to think, you know, should I say this about myself? Or In fact, I thought he said a couple of things that were kind of indiscreet. But he seemed to be, I don't know, I mean, obviously you like him, Mike, you're going to think the same thing. But I, I thought well, I'm watching a person who has no agenda other than to tell the truth and then make sure he doesn't say things that would be, you know, bad for the FBI. It, it was interesting. One of, his, uh, one of his statements was he even admitted to, you know, uh, engineering a leak. That's the thing uh, I was thinking of. Know, through, yeah. through a Columbia law professor, a good a close friend of his, I think, to the New York Times. And, you know, I mean, that's, that's you know, leaks are, are you know, just uh, a cardinal sin in the FBI. It's, right. it's uh, you know, it's not done. Obviously, his leak was, was you know, at the end of his tenure. But, but can I ask you quickly about this idea of memorializing conversations in notes? And, and there were some questions there about uh, which of those notes might then be classified and which might not be classified, depending on what you're taking notes 
on. I'm wondering if you can talk about that procedure and how that's taught in the FBI, because it did seem as though that's something that Director Comey did not do when he had other conversations throughout his professional career, but something that he adopted uh, quite quickly and uh, did with with quite a lot of, uh, uh, you know, specifics whenever he was talking with President Trump. Uh, yes. And, you know, f- for example, an agent, you know, anytime you speak with an agent, uh, the agent is taking some type of notes and, and he will memorialize those notes in uh, call an FD302. It's a report of interview. And so uh, if I called you, if I was an agent, I called you on the phone. We had a conversation. You know, it would be dated, noted and then put into a, a, a you know, electronic file, if you would. And so Comey, you know, is once again, he's one, he's an attorney Two, he's worked with the FBI, worked a number of investigations before becoming director. Uh, He was a very accomplished prosecutor. So that's his standard practice. So he's well trained in in that part of uh, the investigative process. But he also said this was a matter of gut instinct. He basically said, you know, that from the get go, he thought there's something wrong here. I've got to make sure I have a record of this. And. I think we have, most of us have had this at some point in our life. I won't say which former employer of mine, but I went through a certain period where I memorialized every conversation about certain topics with a certain former employer of mine because something wasn't right. So, I, you know, I think that's an instinct a lot of people have. All right. So we better take a break here. We'll come back after this. No fuzz on this. Today's show was produced by Betsy Kaplan, Katie Talarski, and me, Kyone Wolf. Lordy Amanda Fish is part of the classified session, and the part of Bill Curry was played by Mark Warner. On tomorrow's show, our pop culture roundtable, The Nose, argues about Wonder Woman. And now, back to Colin and John. Uh, not just Colin and John, uh, but also we're lucky enough to have Mike Clark, senior lecturer at the College of Criminal Justice and Forensic Sciences at the University of New Haven, and especially relevantly an FBI special agent for 22 years, now retired. Um, you know, this this is brought up by Martin Heinrich today from uh, New Mexico. Uh, it's also brought up by uh, a former intelligence guy, I think on Morning Edition this morning. Um, and it's something that's not really germane probably to any of the things the Intelligence Committee was asking about right now. But, but Mike, just in terms of sort of the operations of law enforcement in America, it's something that has bothered me all day, which is that so President Trump had this unprecedented number of direct contacts with James Comey. Um, and at one point, I think somebody asked James Comey today, well, how many investigations is the FBI doing at any given moment? And he said thousands, thousands. He goes, and were you ever asked about any of those? And he said, no, just just this stuff. And, and But as we get even finer into this stuff, it seems as though the president was only ever interested in the part of this story that touches upon his campaign and his immediate associates his so-called satellites, and that he never seemed interested in what we were just talking about before, the Russian, I mean, we're going to have another election in 2018. Um, It it seems kind of odd to be so interested in in part of this subject, but never ask the FBI director, like, what are we doing to harden ourselves off so this doesn't hit us again? You know, very true. Uh, You know, there's a a number of of areas that... uh, FBI agents were very interested in uh, as far as, 
you know, where, where certain investigations might be going. One would be uh, the counterintelligence investigation with, with the Russian interference. Uh, another would be, that's very dear to FBI agents, uh, it just seemed like everyone was leaking in, in Washington. That, you know, and you just couldn't keep track of all the, the daily leaks. And, you know, that was in another area that, you know, there was an expectation that, you know, there's going to be some follow-up to this. Now, we saw one young woman get prosecuted, which is, you know, very low-hanging fruit in the, the leak investigation uh, hierarchy. So, but they were the two areas that were of, of intense interest to, to agents. I, I will say, Colin, though, that you say it seems kind of odd that he would be interested in this, not that. We, we will cast our, our I, you know, minds back to the day after the election in which the very first press conference that we held was about the size of the crowd. And it wasn't about what was said uh, during the inaugural speech. I, I, I'm not necessarily sure that anything that Donald Trump does that seems to be more about Donald Trump than about anything else uh, should be thought of as uh, a smoking gun that Donald Trump has done something uh, illegal or illicit behind the scenes. It's just that all Donald Trump seems to be interested in is Donald Trump in every conceivable instance. Well, I think one of the reasons it keeps coming up, and you know from our conversations and stuff I've said on the wheelhouse how much this bothers me, is... I'm not sure that we have, I mean, let's set aside the character and personality of the president, put that aside for a second. I'm just not sure that we have a functioning government apparatus right now in a lot of very critical areas. And, you know, Mike, um, although I think Dear to Daily is still in place here because of an ongoing investigation, as you know, roughly half of the uh, state's attorneys. Um, uh, were asked to resign. The others had already resigned. We essentially don't have any U.S. attorneys right now. I mean, we might have like four or five. I'm Deirdre and maybe a few other people. And uh, you wouldn't have a better idea than John and I what that means. I mean, this is sort of the place where prosecutions originate. And having cleared the decks of them, he hasn't replaced any of them. They have been very slow to, to replace a, a number of individuals in law enforcement. For example, the U.S. attorney is the the, the top law enforcement officer in in a state or a district. Uh, we're very the fortunate part is there's career professionals who are very skilled uh, and and can you know step right in. But having you know someone from the party in power at that time uh, that has connections in Washington, uh, you know would be helpful to, uh, to you know, these prosecutions. Can I just ask a quick question, Mike? How often during your career did you ever encounter something where you felt like FBI agents, uh, the rank and file, were being asked to do something or consider something that felt like it was some something having to do with political pressure, like that, that someone was pressing on you to maybe do something more quickly or do something more slowly. I mean, it, was that a part of the job, or is that just never part of the job to the point where if it ever came up, you'd have a big red flag? The, the only thing I can think of it as a very minor issue uh, was... Early, early in my career, we were sent out to gather illegal cable boxes because obviously someone in Washington, and it was a nationwide kind of series of knocking on doors and saying, hey, you just bought this cable box. Give it back to us. Uh, outside of that, we are very much insulated from that. Uh, and that com- that's, once again, that comes from having a United States attorney in place who can screen anything that's kind of haywire that comes from Washington and say, hey, you know, that's not that's not in our 
uh, our goals and objectives. That's not a priority for us. <laughs> so the goal of, of the of the attorney would be to, to be the screen, and we just don't have the screens in place. Well, that, that makes me feel good that somebody does that. Well, I mean, yeah. U.S. attorneys do all kinds of things, including, yeah. you know, they do initiate significant, for example, corruption prosecutions. I would note that Preet Bharara, by the way, I think he had a seat uh, at the uh, hearings. I think he got in today. He was. I think I saw that somewhere. One of the live blogs that yeah. the former yeah. attorney for the Southern District. Now, uh, for example, I uh, the last twelve years of my career, I was I was involved in, in corruption cases mm-hmm. for the most part. Yeah. And we never had any pressure whatsoever to hurry, you know, or slow down or anything like that. We were, you know, totally insulated from that. And that's one of the. That's what gives the federal. Uh, law enforcement, uh, you know, a very strong hammer in those investigations. Let me grab a call from Nan. Our number, by the way, 860-275-7266, 860-275-7266. That we had thought we might carry a statement from uh, Donald Trump's private lawyer. That hasn't happened yet. Not sure what the status of that is. If we get it, we'll give it to you. Uh, this is Nan in Waterbury. Hi, you're on the air. Hey, I just wanted to uh, oppose that an earlier caller's um, impression that this is like really condemning for Donald Trump because I don't think anything was said in his testimony today that was anything we don't know as the American public. I mean, the only bad thing he said was, I wrote it down afterwards because I thought he might lie about it later. later. And we all know he misstates stuff all the time, whether it's from misunderstanding or just to you know, move public opinion in some other direction or distract. So so that's not, it's not damning any more damning than his own tweets are. Well, I, one thing that I would say is that uh, there is nothing new today unless you're concerned with the difference between something that's reported and ascribed to anonymous sources in the press and the former director of the FBI uh, engaging in sworn testimony under penalty of perjury. Those two things have sort of different statuses in the world. So if the New York Times, the Washington Post reports that Donald Trump uh, called uh, James Comey in and said that he hoped that he would drop the prosecution against Michael Flynn, that's one, and, and attributes it to anonymous sources, that's one thing. If James Comey goes on, you know, in front of a House a Senate Intelligence Committee in, in sworn testimony, says, yes, that happened. I mean, that is a game changer, well, right? I, yeah. I, and I think, think it's the difference, Nan, and maybe we've become just used to this over the course of the last year and then the last few months of the Trump uh, White House, is that in this case we're talking about the potential of obstruction of justice as opposed to the obstruction of what we can think of as objective truth, right? <laughs> Which is a day a daily event here. We'll see a tweet that won't quite be right or will be wrong, and we'll have to talk about it for a few days, Mike. But this is a very different thing. Th- this gets at the heart of whether or not he was trying to quash an investigation into his campaign's meddling with Russia, and that is a very different thing. Donald Trump does a lot of stuff that's like this. It's just that it's all really not as important as this thing. True. And I think that's why Director Comey was very measured in some of his responses, because he did not want to step over the line with what Director Mueller is, you know, will be doing in the long term. Um, I, you know, since we're, it looks like we're not going to get Mark Kasowitz, let me pretend to be Mark Kasowitz for a second uh, and say, well, you know, everything, I assume one of the things that Kasowitz will say, and, and I thought uh, Marco Rubio in particular sort of tried to help out in a way that surprised me considering the relationship these two men had had, uh, is that, well, you could just sort of look at all this and you could say, well, he asked for loyalty. 
which is not like a crazy thing. Uh, he he said he hoped that you know that this this Flynn investigation wouldn't you know would go away eventually because Flynn was such a nice guy and and he hoped that uh, Comey would tell the American people that he the president was not the specific target of an investigation because the cloud over him was making it very hard for him to do business so I mean that's the benign explanation of all this you, yeah, yeah except at the end he fired him and that's the part that just got a lot left out of that picky, is, picky, picky. And, and, and that really is what this was about and and it's what gets under Jim Comey's skin if anything mm-hmm. does during during this testimony like we see it we see that he is clearly not too pleased about the fact that he got canned by the president and he got called a crazy person and his office was disparaged and the work of the FBI was disparaged yeah and, and Jim Comey is once again I've, I've He's been one of the most honorable men I've 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 known. I mean, he stood up uh, in the past, you know, when it would, could have cost him his job, and and this time it did cost him his job. Uh, and it, it's it you know you you could see that that grates on on you know Director Comey, and uh, you know I think he wanted to set some of that record straight. And I was I was a little bit moved at the end where in his in his remarks his his opening remarks. He, he mentioned he wanted to say goodbye to the people that, you know, that he worked with in the FBI because he wasn't even afforded that opportunity. Right. right. He was at that um, sort of a recruitment uh, session out in L.A. Um, all right. We're almost out of time here. Um, you know, maybe one thing to say here is another way I'm, once again, being Mark Kasowitz a little bit, but not all the way, is, you know, this does look like a story that we know from everybody from Nixon to Martha Stewart, which is that you can look at this set of facts and think it, it doesn't appear yet that any direct link between President Trump and any kind of Russian meddling or Russian contact has been established or maybe isn't even about to uh, be established. But he got himself in trouble in a different way. I mean, what, what he's in trouble for, if he's in trouble at all right now, Mike, is for going to Comey and talking about all this stuff. I mean, that's the thing that he's done. And you hate to say it's not the crime, it's the cover up. But it is sort of it's not the crime. It's, if you'd left all this stuff alone, you wouldn't if you, Donald Trump, wouldn't have a big problem right now. It's interesting, uh, you know, because he is a very non-traditional in his approaches. I guess is a way to put it. Uh, nice. uh, you know, whether he understood in talking to the director, uh, just w- w- how important that was, or how significant his his statements were. Yeah, it's not the crime; it's the invitation to dinner. Right? <laughs> it's, 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 sort, it's sort of what it was like, and it's sending everybody out by the door, the, through the door by the grandfather clock. All right, well, uh, we have to go. There's no fuzz on that. We've got to go right now. Thanks so much to Mike Clark. It's great to have somebody with your expertise and background, a former FBI agent for 22 years now with the College of Criminal Justice and Forensic Sciences at the University of New Haven. And I'm always happy when John Dan. And I get to do almost anything on the air together, especially something like this. 